Today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the day that we celebrate the, the birthday or the anniversary of the New Testament church. That is a good day. Today is a celebration day in the New Testament church. I, I feel it in the room. A couple of you have wanted to clap while I've been saying that. Today is the birthday of the church. You're allowed to clap and celebrate that. All right. Just had to get those claps out of your system. I, I felt it. Uh, today is the day that we celebrate Jesus sending the Holy Spirit onto his first disciples. It's the launching of the New Testament church. It is the day that we celebrate the promise of the Holy Spirit being not just for those original disciples, not even just for the 120 odd people who were in that room, not just, the, not just the 12, not just the 120, but every single follower of Jesus ever until Jesus's return is promised the Holy Spirit. And so we celebrate that this wasn't just a one-time thing, but it's an ongoing thing. But as much as it's something that is still going on, did you know that Pentecost was actually something that was celebrated before that day in Acts chapter 2 that Sharon read about just a few moments ago? In fact, Pentecost was a, a Jewish holiday uh, that was celebrated on the, the 50th day after the Passover by the Jews long before the day that we call Pentecost when we talk about the Holy Spirit being sent. It was actually seven weeks plus one day, or we would refer to it maybe as seven Sundays after the Passover or 50 days after Easter. Uh, you might refer to this if you were hanging out with some Jewish people. You might refer to this as Shavat or the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. Some people call it the the Feast of Wheat. It's actually the celebration marking the, the moment when God gave the Torah or the law or what was known as the Word of God to his people. We can actually read about that in Exodus chapter 19. But it was also the celebration marking the beginning of the wheat harvest. So the, the people of Israel were celebrating, God, you gave us your word. Thank you for sending your word to us. And thank you for providing for us as we bring in the harvest of wheat. So Pentecost is not simply a day to celebrate when Christians got bit by the spider of God and gained superpowers. That's not it. A little Spider-Man reference for the nerds out there. Uh, it, it was originally the celebration of God giving the word and the wheat harvest. Now think for a moment. Consider what happens to the world and to the people of God after the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus that first time in the upper room. A large crowd gathers. In fact, you can read about this in Acts chapter 2. This large crowd gathers because they began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. And the crowd was confused because they came from all over the place. It turns out, if you do a little research, the list of places where all of these people in the crowd came from, they'd all come in for the holiday. They were all God-fearing people. They had come into the city and there were all people, uh, everywhere that was listed was a place that was under Roman rule. They were all under the oppression and authority and rule of this earthly kingdom. And they come in to celebrate a higher kingdom because they're God-fearing people. And all of a sudden, they each begin to hear this group of about 120 people. Think about there's 120 people just loudly praising God. In, in this different kind of language. But what they're all hearing 
is the praise in their native tongue, in their, uh, in their heart language, you might say. Now, they all knew how to speak a shared language because they were all under the same ruler. The, the, and Rome did a great job of making sure you're all going to speak our language and you're all going to live under our culture. But all of a sudden, they're hearing their own culture being repeated back to them, their own heart language being repeated back to them, but, but really directed in praise to God. And then they look at their neighbor who speaks a different language as a native tongue, and they're shocked because they're both hearing the same utterance in their own native language, and they are stunned, and some joker in the crowd goes, these people are definitely drunk. That's the only explanation that I can come up with. They're definitely, they're definitely drunk. Now, in this day and age, we probably wouldn't say they're definitely drunk. They'd probably, someone in the crowd would go, what app are you using? Right? And so Peter stands up and delivers the first sermon of the New Testament church, and he says, the idea that you came up with, your logical presumption about what is happening right now has completely missed the mark. This is a move of God. In fact, let me tell you that all the way back in Joel chapter 2, God told us that he was going to do this exact thing. He said he was going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all flesh, and that there would be miracles, be visions and dreams and prophecy. Signs and wonders. And that, that word, that promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh that happened generations ago, recorded in the book of Joel, is what is happening right now in this moment. And the fruit of that was that after Peter's sermon, they said, what do we need to do in response to this incredible message Peter ties all of that back to Jesus and says it was Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit, who was the Messiah, and this was what was prophesied all along. They said, what do we need to do? And Peter says, put your faith in Jesus, get baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Those three things. Put your faith in Jesus, get baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And after that, that story ends by saying 3,000 people were added to the kingdom in that one day. So suddenly Pentecost gets turned in from the day where we celebrate the harvest of wheat and the giving of the Torah to now it's the giving of the Holy Spirit and a different kind of harvest. Pentecost is a harvest celebration. It's a harvest of lives, a harvest of souls coming fully alive in the kingdom because of the love of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit so that the church was not just born but empowered to go out and share the gospel. Which is, Doesn't that sound like something that Jesus told us to do? Doesn't that sound like something that, that God has been telling Life Church to do for the last about a month and a half as we've just been hearing God recurringly invite us into his presence, but also to go out with his presence. And now it, the culmination of all of the invitation to come into the kingdom and go out with the good news about the kingdom is that we are spirit-filled people.
That was a good word, Tim. That's so good. So glad you said that. I just when you finished that sentence, I just couldn't hold it in and just clap and praise God because of how good he is. And it's Pentecost Sunday and that that still applies to us all of these years later. Just calm down. Okay, calm down. I have a whole sermon to preach. Would you please just calm down and let me move on? Okay, so we've talked a little bit about what Pentecost is all about. Now we need to talk a little bit about who Pentecost is all about. And so really the heart of my message today, if we could give it a simple title, it would just be Holy Spirit 101, because we have to talk about the Holy Spirit. And my goal today is to help you by the end of this message, to help you understand a little bit about the person, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because I have got to tell you this, you cannot be fully alive, you cannot fully accomplish the ministry that God has given to you, and you cannot fully receive all of the kingdom that God intends for you unless you understand and receive the Holy Spirit. So we have to talk about it. So let's talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's lay a foundation. Theologically, let's all get on the same page. First things first, say this, with, say, say this there is only one God. Look at your neighbor and say, there is only one God. Just look at a neighbor real quick. You don't even have to know that. Say, there is only one God. All right, now say this. But he exists in three persons. Now, there's a chance that you just said something you don't understand. And if you just said something that you think you understand, you're so wrong. You don't. You don't. And if you understand it, God, welcome to Life Church. We're so glad you showed up today. He's literally the only one that understands it. And every illustration and every attempt for us to explain it will fall woefully short for all kinds of different reasons. But I'm going to attempt to give you an illustration today that will help you at least kind of sort of understand the Trinity, which is the God who is one but exists in three persons, and so that we can understand the person of the Holy Spirit. We'll come back around to that for a second, but let me just make sure that we root this in Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, There is one God, one God, one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. But this one God exists in three distinct persons. We call that the Trinity. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. The Word, John, uh, actually, like he does this in his Gospel, in the Gospel of John, he refers to Jesus as the Word. And so when he says there's three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Now, the second century uh, theologian Tertullian, that name is available if you have any kids on the way, Tertullian, uh, he described the Trinity by writing, The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not identical with one another, nor separate from one another, but simply three distinct persons of one substance. Now, that might be a little bit helpful. Again, if you fully understand that, you're lying. Uh, it, it, we don't, but we, we need to understand a little bit about this as much as we can so that we can get to the point of our message today. But let me say this here. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an idea or a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not the ghost form of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not the source of superpowers for super Christians. Uh, and he is not only available for those super Christians. Okay. Scripture teaches that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's not third because he comes third place like he's the second loser of the kingdom. He's not that at all. He is the third person because he's the God present with us in the third age. 
So there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Understand? No, not fully? Great. Okay, cool. Let's go to university for the next 10 years and we'll begin to scratch the surface of understanding all of that. But he's the third person of the Trinity. He is a real person, not in the person like Kyle is a person in part because I can look at him and I can, if I wanted to, I can go punch him and he's physically there with a physical body. The Holy Spirit doesn't have a physical body like Kyle has a physical body, but he is a person completely. He has an intellect, he has emotion, he has a will, he has desires, he has emotions because you're invited in the scripture to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And he shares equally, say equally, he shares equally in all of the divine attributes of the Father and of the Son. So he's not the third-rate God, he is God. Okay, so now to illustrate this a little bit, I'm going to give you a woefully flawed illustration that also happens to be my favorite sermon illustration of all time. It's coffee. All right. So, some of you may have heard this before. Maybe not. If you have, uh, I just want to give credit to, to where it's due. Pastor Perry Goya, when I was taking a Hebrew class, threw this out. Like, one day he'd just stand in there in the front of the class with a marker in his hand and his socks and sandals on. Uh, he was wearing Birkenstocks and like wool socks in, in, in like a spring class in, at, at Life Pacific College in San Dimas. And he had a marker in his hand and he goes, you know, and he just like on a whim just throws out this illustration. And I just, my hand shot up and I said, uh, Professor Goya, can I have that illustration for the rest of my life? Because that's the best illustration I've ever heard in my whole life. And he kind of chuckled. He's like, it's all yours. So I've been using it, but I want to give credit where it's due. Okay. Now, I also want to say the illustration I'm about to share with you is flawed like all illustrations. There's something called modalism. Say modalism. Modalism is when you create a, a theology of God that says that he's not all three persons at the same time. So modalism would be like saying when the, when the father sent the son, he stopped being the father, became the son, and then heaven was empty for about 30-odd years. And then when, when Jesus went back up to heaven, that's where he now reigns. And we kind of, we're not sure what to do with the father yet. Maybe he turned, Jesus turns back into the father. And then the Holy Spirit is like ghost Jesus, like how Yoda shows up, you know, in the Star Wars movies after he dies. Uh, that's modalism. So in order for this illustration to work, I, I need you to use a part of your imagination that would pretend with me for a moment that as I walk through this illustration, each element, when it becomes a different element, has always been that different element and is still the other element, which it has also always been. Because God exists outside of time as three in one all the time forever and will never not be either of those all at the same time. <laughs> Whew! Okay, so the Father is like a coffee bean, the source of all the power, right? You don't get, you don't get the coffee unless you go through the bean, okay? Uh, let's root that in Scripture, not just Starbucks. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 through 25 says, He, this is referring to God the Father, He is the God who made the world and everything in it, since He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He Himself gives life and breath to everything, and He satisfies every need. 
But we have a problem. We, can't, we simply cannot engage with the Father, with the being. We, you can't actually go into heaven right now and be in the presence of God. In fact, that was so true, especially in the Old Testament, that if you were to be in the presence of the Father, you're just dead. You're just going to be dead. So we don't actually really want to walk into that room right now. Uh, we need to find another way. And, and we find that written in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, referring to the being, the Father. But the unique one, that's a reference to the next version, portion, person of the Trinity. Uh, but the unique one, who himself is God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So you have the being. You cannot access the being on your own. If you try, you die. And so we need the unique one who himself is near the Father's heart and who has revealed God to us, which brings us to the grind, which represents the Son. We just talked about this around Easter time, right? The, the Son is the being who was broken so that we could have access to the life and the power in the being, in the Father, right? Now, don't do modalism. When, when, when we gain access to the brokenness of Jesus, the Father is still the Father and the Son is still the Son and they've always been themselves and together as one all at the same time, Okay? So, the, the one who was sent to be crushed to give us access to the life within the being, his name is Jesus. He was prophesied about in Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. That's a prophecy about Jesus. The being would be broken to become the grind so that we could have access to the power. This is, this is a good illustration. Now, an incredibly clear picture of the partnership between the Father and Son is seen in Colossians chapter 1. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. And through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Skip down to verse 18. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. That's us. We are the body of Christ, the church. And he is the lead pastor of the church. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God, the being, reconciled everything to himself. How? Through the grind. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood, on the cross. That's the, what we just commemorated by taking communion together as a family. So the Son is the catalyst for original life, and by his brokenness, we have access into original and eternal life. And then just to be clear, uh, the sun is the only way to get to the bean. The grind is the only way you get to the bean. Uh, imagine walking into Starbucks and saying, I'd like a cup of coffee, but could you use no coffee? Just give me hot water. Because I've just decided that it feels better for me if I drink hot water and then I'll just get caffeinated that way. The barista would look at you and go, you know that there's no way to get the caffeine unless you put some caffeine in a cup and then you drink it, right? I go, no, I, I just would like it if I could use another way to get to the bean. Well, you can't use another way to get to the bean. You have to use the bean. And the way you get to the bean and the life and the power that's in the bean is through the grind. There's no other way. 
John 14, 6 says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Except through me. So, but then after the resurrection, we've talked about this recently, Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of the Father where he's now making intercession for the saints, which means he's praying for you and I. He's praying for me right now that I do a good job explaining the Trinity the best that I can so you can understand a bit of the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but he's gone. Jesus is actually not on earth right now. He went to go and sit at the right hand of the Father. So we need another way to get through the grind to the bean. And that is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The one by whom we receive God's presence and power is the Holy Spirit who plays a significant part in your having been saved, by the way. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? That's the Holy Spirit who lives in you. The language here is a little bit muddy in some translations. Uh, the translation would be that the Holy Spirit comes to live among you, like, a, like he lives as one among a tribe of people. In other words, God's Spirit comes to live with us as Christians, and that's what helped us to become people who are saved, people of the way of Jesus or covered by the blood of Christ. So salvation, you could say, if the bean is the Father, the source of all the power. The grind is broken so that we could have access to the power. And then salvation is the moment where we pick up the Spirit of God and He becomes one who lives among us. And I am marked for salvation by the Spirit of God. How do you know that I'm saved? Well, I start to act like a person who's carrying a cup of coffee. James writes about that. Uh, faith without works is dead. If you don't act like a person carrying a cup of coffee, I have questions for you. There's certain things you don't do anymore when you're carrying a cup of coffee. Don't throw me a football, please. I'm holding a cup of coffee. Well, don't throw that sin in my life anymore. I'm holding a, a God who won't allow that to be caught in my life anymore. I have to act differently because I'm carrying the Spirit of God with me. And I just want to tell you, this is where many of us stop. This is where many of us, because of bad teaching, because of misunderstanding of who, who the Holy Spirit is, this is where many of us stop. Many of us stop at this moment. I have picked up the cup. I'm good with Jesus. Don't give me any of that weird stuff. The reality is the Pentecost, the Bible, the kingdom of heaven, is about how we're not supposed to just hold a cup of coffee. Jesus explained this before he ascended into heaven in Luke 24, verse 49. He says, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, which is a different word used there in the original language than to come and live among you comes and fills you with power from heaven. So this is the difference between holding and... That's why this is my favorite illustration. Oh, that's good coffee. I, I, make, a, I, I make a good cup of coffee. Uh, so good that one time Jason Duke, when he was on our church council, asked if he could make an official motion in our church that I would no longer be able to make coffee for the council meetings because it was too strong for him. 
I wear that like a badge of honor. Good, strong, because I want all of the Holy Spirit, Jason. (laughs) You get the point, though, right? Holding the coffee brings you into the presence of God, but drinking it would bring you into the power. So it's, it's the way that we access all of the life. Do you get the life if you are just holding? Sure, yes, absolutely. You're marked by, you're, you're, you're purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are a follower of the way of Jesus. Yes, and, and you should be living differently. We talk a lot about spiritual practices and disciplines, and in the future in our church, we're going to talk about creating a a rule of life or a rhythm or a way of living together that would be practices and disciplines for what it looks like to be people holding the cup, living with the presence of God in our lives. But we cannot stop there because we're also people of Pentecost. So we have to talk about how the person of the Holy Spirit is how we access the power and the presence of God. This is, the, this is the will of God. This is the plan of God for our lives that by receiving the Holy Spirit, we gain access to all of the kingdom and all of the life that God has intended for us. So Pentecost is the celebration of Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to baptize his disciples with his presence and his power. But you can't fully celebrate the baptism that brings presence and power if you don't understand the person of the Holy Spirit. So we had to pause there for a little bit. Now, uh, let me give you one other quick disclaimer or point of clarity, just kind of retrospectively back on that conversation about the Holy Spirit. As we think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, uh, I I want you to understand there is no scripture. You cannot make an argument for this anywhere in the Bible that requires that receiving the Holy Spirit must happen either at the moment of or separate from your salvation. We're a part of a four-square denomination. Uh, We have uh, studies and and our theology and our particular interpretation of Scripture. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a distinctly separate event from the moment you got saved, which is why I preach the sermon the way I have so far. Salvation puts the cup in your hand. Baptism fills you with the Holy Spirit. We believe that those are two distinct moments or moments events in the life of a follower of Jesus. However, we do not believe that they must happen together or they must happen separately. What we believe is God gets to do that whenever he wants. Why we believe that? Because no one in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 was asking to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. God just decided. And there were other moments where people were asking to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and God responded. So it can happen both ways. Don't ever let anyone tell you that if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, if no one's ever prayed with you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you're not a Christian. That's heretical. That's bad teaching and mean. This is just not true. But also, don't ever let anyone tell you that if you didn't get the Holy Spirit at the moment that you got saved, that you don't have all of God, tough cookies for you. There's a lot of different routes that we can take. The point is God gets to give you himself. When, when you ask for it, God's response will be yes. And if you got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and you got the whole thing all at the same time, awesome. And if you're sitting here going, I've been a Christian for 
a long time and never filled with the Holy Spirit. Am I just not a good Christian? No, 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 no. No, you're not a second-class Christian, but God does have more of himself for you. Okay? So we, we get to celebrate the person of God in the, of the Holy Spirit being this third person of God coming with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is what today is about. Now, once we understand a little bit about the person and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, let's talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power that he offers. Luke records Jesus saying this about the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is like the prologue, the, the intro to the book of Acts. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And kind of before, he's like, before I get into the meat of this story called the book of Acts or the Acts of the Apostles, I just want to do a quick recap, like a quick throwback to something that I didn't put in my gospel. Here it is, and this is what Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you notice the immediate result and then the long-term result of the Holy Spirit baptism? You will receive power, immediate result. Long-term result, you will be a witness of the good news of Jesus around the entire world. Right? And then Acts chapter 2 tells the story of the moment that that power was received for the first time. We've already read this today, but let's listen to it again. Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. This is a throwback, by the way, to how God used a pillar of fire uh, when he was leading the people of Israel through the wilderness to ensure to them that he was with them no matter what it looked like. And he was leading them uh, to all of the places that they should go. So fire is the representation of the presence, the power, and the leadership of God in our lives. So the tongues of fire separated and rested on each of them. Verse 4, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So wind and fire, again, both represent the presence and the power of God through Scripture. And the initial result of this Holy Spirit baptism in this story was that all of the disciples began to speak in different languages. They were all praising God and Everyone was hearing them. We've covered that already this morning. And by the way, I'm not going to dig into a theology of tongues today uh, because you would never get to lunch. We are planning on talking about that, though, in just a few weeks. So um, we'll, we'll take time to talk about the gift of tongues in the future. Today, I want to draw your attention to the purpose of the power that was given and who gets the power. Let's just cover this really quickly. Who gets the power of the Holy Spirit? There was 120 people in the upper room. There were no apostles or church leaders in that upper room because there was no church to lead yet. So a theology that says the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for those 12 uh, men, or at that moment it would have just been 11 men, is just for them. That's a, that, that's a complete misreading of the text. There's 120 people, including men, women, and children. Every single one of them. It says the Holy Spirit came on all of them. That means men of every age, women of every age, and children of every age begin to speak in other languages, baptized with the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we say at Life Church is that you can never be too young or too old to experience a move of God in and through your life. 
And we take that in part from this very moment in Scripture. 120 people of both genders and every age being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in new languages. So who gets the Holy Spirit? Every follower of Jesus. What's the, what is the one, pre, okay, two prerequisites to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The first one is be a human. The second one is be a follower of Jesus. Because who did he say he was going to send the Holy Spirit to? His disciples. Are you one? Then you're eligible, if the answer to that question is yes. So there is no national, no gender, no age discrepancy for who gets to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The only requirement is that you must first become a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, or a Christian. And second, uh, the purpose of this power is for the growth of God's kingdom, never for our own influence. This is a really important point. The question, why did the Holy Spirit come? It wasn't so that you can feel like a super Christian. It wasn't so that you can have powers. It wasn't so that you can gain influence. It was so that you can be an empowered witness. It was for the growth of God's kingdom. Right? Always. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being his witnesses around the world. Now, I would just like to say, you can be a witness for Jesus without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can. If you're just a cup holder, you can be a witness of the Holy Spirit or a witness for Jesus. In the same way that I can own a car and not put gas in it and not have a driver's license, I'm a car owner, I'm just not a very effective one. Right? And please don't put me on a freeway. It, and I know that sounds like a tongue-in-cheek illustration. And yet, you can be a Christian and not fully receive all of the Holy Spirit. You can not fully receive all of the power in the presence of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you can go out and try your darndest to be a light in a dark world. And you may very well be. You might be a good speaker and have a, a, a powerful testimony. And you might even see some people come to life. But I hope you never get out on the spiritual freeway without the power of God and the presence of God protecting your life. Because just as much as God is real in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the devil is real and he hates you. And if you want to go out into the battlefield of the wheat harvest that God has called us to, it's like walking out onto the 405 on foot and being surprised when you get struck by a car. So just get in the car. Put some gas in it. Get a driver's license. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right. So the Holy Spirit makes powerful ministry possible to all of Jesus' disciples. Peter actually stood and explained this as part of his uh, first sermon explaining the miraculous moment. Remember, we made reference to Joel earlier. And this is specifically what he says in Acts chapter 2. Is he's quoting Joel's prophecy. It will be in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women. <gasps> and they will prophesy. So clearly, 
the power of the Holy Spirit is not limited just to speaking in tongues, although that is a significant evidence of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, but also prophecy, visions, and dreams. And at a later date, probably in the fall of this year, we'll come back around to the book of Ephesians and we'll talk about another way that we begin to discover uh, through the fivefold ministry that God has given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, about how you as a spirit-filled apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or teacher are used in the power of God to go and be a light in this world. And it might be through things also like visions, dreams, prophecy, speaking in tongues laying on hands on sick people and seeing them healed. In fact, Paul actually talks about this because it wasn't just about those, that first group. It was the continuing ministry of God's people that was very powerful. In Romans 15, Paul says, I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in service to God. So just if you ever think that I'm a little too excited in the pulpit, if you're ever like, I don't know if I can keep coming back to this church, he yells sometimes. I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ has done through me in service to God. I'm just trying to be like Paul, guys. Give me a break. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message. Listen to this. By my message, the way I preached, and by the way I worked among them. He explains that. They were convinced by my eloquent sermons that always had three points that begun with the same letter? No, they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. This is Paul the Apostle. The guy that wrote a pretty significant portion of the New Testament was like, nothing I said convinced them. You know what convinced them? The Holy Spirit doing miracles through my life. Which is why I can't brag about it, because my sermons didn't do the trick. We laid hands on sick people, and they got healed, and then they were like, wow, what does that mean? And then he was able to say, all the stuff I was talking about was about Jesus. That's the evidence that Jesus is real. And then they went, I want that. They were convinced by miracles. You know what else this tells me? Is that the convincing work doesn't happen in a church building behind a pulpit. The convincing work happens as you go out and lay hands on the sick. As the spirit-filled people go out. Listen to this. He says, in this way, did he, did he preach? Did he share the good news? Did he tell the truth? Yeah, in, in this way. But what else did he do? He laid hands on the sick. There were miracles. There were signs and wonders. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ. Fully presented. I would just propose to you that you can't fully present the kingdom of heaven without miracles. And you don't get miracles without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the person of the Holy Spirit gives power to every follower of Jesus to present the good news of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit also gives us another gift. He gives us power, and then we've said this word a few times already in this sermon. He gives us power, and he gives us presence, the presence of God. This is incredibly significant, by the way. Uh, When Jesus told his disciples that he was leaving, they didn't understand it because they didn't understand most of the things that Jesus said, just like you don't the first time. You read the Bible, join the club. Jesus reassures them, though, 
He says, guys, don't, don't worry. In fact, he says in John 16, it's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor or the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So who sends the Holy Spirit? Jesus. Do you call the Holy Spirit down from heaven? No, you're not Jesus. Who sends the Holy Spirit? Jesus is our baptizer with the Holy Spirit. And he says, if I don't go, if I don't get out of here, the third wave, the third person doesn't come. I've got to get out of the way. Jesus, God himself, I've got to get out of the way so that I can come, so that I can send the Holy Spirit. Now, he says a little bit later on, he says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Peter's probably like, what are you talking about, Jesus? When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. Which is, by the way, a throwback of Jesus' own ministry, right? He said, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. I don't do anything unless I hear, unless I'm directed by the Father. Now he's saying, all of the ways you're used to me ministering, that I'm only directed by the Father, the Holy Spirit is going to function in the same way. He will also declare to you what is to come. That's prophecy. He will glorify me because he will take from, he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit is God. We've settled that. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to live in the presence of God and to have a, a guide and a teacher who points us to Jesus, who also in turn then points us to the Father. So the Holy Spirit fills us with God's presence and unifies us with the rest of the church. This is such an important point because a lot of times when we talk about the Holy Spirit, and if I have to confess, a lot of my own upbringing and a lot of my thinking for a long time was being a Pentecostal meant we were the ones who had figured out how to get power. And I'm not so sure that that's a bad sentence. The problem, though, is that that was often where we put a period. Where there should have been the rest of a sentence that said, we were the ones who had figured out, people of Pentecost, who had figured out how to get the power of God and live most fully in the presence of God. Which should cause us to know how to carry the power. See, if all you want is power, period, you are going to be prone to mishandle the power. But if you're given power and you're reminded that you're also given the presence of God, you'll use the power differently. This is why in Star Wars, they always had every Jedi have a master who was training them. And they would apprentice under the master for years and years because they were learning how to use power that could actually kill people. And so the Jedi would actually learn underneath. I'm just giving an illustration for the nerds. Don't look at me like that, Liz. <laughs> the, the Jedi would actually learn under, so like Obi-Wan had Qui-Gon Jinn, and he just shadowed Qui-Gon Jinn for years because he was learning how to use power that could destroy. But he, had, but he was learning it in the shadow of a person who knew how to use it for good. 
And if he wasn't in the presence of the master who was going to teach him how to use the power for the right purpose, he was going to turn into something terrible. And you see that as Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader because his heart got separated from his own master, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then he got twisted and he started listening to the voices of other people who said, you could use this power for your own benefit. Pump the brakes. And that sounds like a rabbit trail, except that I grew up in some environments and I had a lot of Pentecostal friends who would say things like, isn't it so great that we've got all of this power in the kingdom, we can kind of just do whatever we want. And there's a problematic theology with a lot of bad teaching about the Holy Spirit where we actually begin to practice sorcery because we think that if we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we can force God's hand to do whatever we want. If I just say the right word, I mean cast the right spell. I mean, say the right prayer. Then God has to do what I tell him to do. And then so many people leave Pentecostal churches and ultimately leave the kingdom because they prayed a prayer that was outside of God's will. They were actually just praying their own will. And then they get mad at God and think that maybe God failed them or turned. maybe God just doesn't even exist after all at all. And the whole thing was a hoax and a lie just to get my money. Because we taught people to be sorcerers. You're not a Jedi. You're not a magician. You're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And because you're filled with the Holy Spirit and called into being a part of the royal priesthood, you had better learn to live under the shadow of the Most High God. So Jesus said, I'm getting out of Dodge, but you can't bear to be alone. So I'm sending myself back to you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit back to you because you need power to do this mission. But if you just have power and not the presence, you're going to run amok and ruin everything I died for. Thank God for his presence and not just his power. What would it look like for a church to access the fullness of God out of a desperation and hunger for God's presence that resulted in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit rather than just trying to get power. This is why we have to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we struggle with the presence of God. I mean, think about your life. Think about what most Sundays are like for you. When you make it to church on a Sunday, many of us, by Sunday night, feel like we left God in the building. Because we walked back to our real life. I get it. We call this place a sanctuary. And we treat it as such. Like it's a sanctuary from our real lives. I can come and encounter God for a few moments, about 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, and then I'm going to go back out into my real world where God, I hope, sees me. And then we fall into desperation or sin and we feel far from God. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the sending of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the answer to feeling far from God. To feeling like you've fallen short, you just lean on the presence of God. To feel like you're not worthy, you lean on the presence of God. 
you lean on the promise, Psalm 46, verse 1, that says God is a refuge and strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. And that was something just to hope for and trust in for those who were before Christ. And now, as people blood-bought by Christ and who have been given the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, we get to lean on the presence of God and say, you are an ever-present help in times of trouble because I have the Holy Spirit here with me right now. Right now. Let me share this with you briefly and then I want to move into a moment of prayer. I heard a a pastor, Dr. Miles Monroe, recently grew up in the Bahamas and he shared this illustration. The Bahamas in 1973 became an independent nation. Before that, it was a colony of Great Britain, which means that they had a governor who was a British citizen living in the governor's palace, in the governor's house, whatever they called it, um, in the capital of the Bahamas. And, And Dr. Monroe, he said that Uh, The governor's job was primarily to empower the Bahamians to live like Britons and to encourage British culture. He said, quote, as long as the governor of Britain was in the Bahamas, Britain was in the Bahamas. But then on July 10th, 1973, they became independent. The, The British governor of the Bahamas had to vacate. He moved back to England, taking Britain with him. And for the first time in their history, since they had been colonized, the Bahamians were left to figure it out on their own. And Dr. Monroe said that the, the Bahamians elected their first native governor, but he could only teach us what we already knew. Because without the spirit, you're like an independent nation. You have to pay your own bills. We live in a world that teaches us to fight for independence to fight for individuality, to fight for the right to create our own culture, our own destiny, if you will. The kingdom of God is opposite to that. It says be colonized. Submit to the governor. Allow the Holy Spirit to move into the governor's mansion of your life and be the one that calls the shots. But you know what you get with submission? You get presence. Because as long as the governor of heaven lives in the mansion of your heart, heaven is in your heart. So the next time you feel far from God, receive the Holy Spirit. Thank God for his presence through the Holy Spirit. The next time that you hear someone else say, I feel like I'm far from God, ask them, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because surely if you had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you would know God is with you. And he, he is all the power that you need to make it through this day or this moment. And then you would lay hands on them, pray for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit presuming that they are a follower of Jesus and they want to receive everything that God has for them. And that is exactly how we are going to end this gathering today. The Holy Spirit is not the perks package for Christianity. He is God himself. 
sent by Jesus, ready, willing, enthusiastic about filling our lives with presence and power so that we can experience the culture of heaven and be empowered witnesses of God's good news around the world. And we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as easily as we receive salvation. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in fact God, the third person of the Trinity, given to us by Jesus, and we receive the baptism through prayer. Just like there has never been a person who's gone to Jesus to ask for salvation, that God has said, nope, you can't be saved. There has never been a person who has come to God, who has prayed to Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit, that Jesus would say, nope, you can't be filled. We receive just like we get saved. We are filled just like we are redeemed. Now, I've asked several of my friends who are spirit-filled people to be available to pray uh, with you today. And actually, they're going to begin to move around the room right now and just make themselves available. In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss us to pray. And these friends of ours are just going to stand around the room. I see them moving around right now. These are people who, like me, like many of you in this room, have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want you to pay attention to this. These people don't all hold positions of ordination within a church. They are people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've asked them just to be available to pray with you. I've given them some instructions. So here, here's what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to pray. And then I'm just going to invite you to come. If today you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like those first 120 followers of Jesus on the first day of Pentecost in the New Testament. These people are just gonna, they're gonna ask you a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus? If your answer is no, we can pray with you that you would become a follower of Jesus. If your answer is yes, they're gonna ask you, do you wanna receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If your answer then is yes, they're going to ask your permission to lay hands on you. And if you say yes, you can lay hands on me, they'll lay hands on you, on your shoulder, and they'll just pray that you would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And can I just tell you that as soon as they pray that prayer and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit by faith, that you have received, just like it happened when you got saved, became a follower of Jesus. By the way, if you say, I, I want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but please don't put your hand on me for whatever personal reason you have, they'll respect that and they'll just do like a hover hand thing. They won't touch you. That's totally fine. And if there's anything else that you need prayer for today, we've got friends around this room who are there to pray, led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, in the presence of the Holy Spirit for you and with you today. And we're believing that today is a day of filling, just like that original day of Pentecost. And so today, I just want to pray with you. I want to pray with you that as you think about this message that you've heard today, that your heart would be open to receive everything that God has for you. That you would be aware of where you're at in the kingdom and in your journey in towards the fullness of the kingdom. And so let's pray. We can even begin to see because anticipation is good. 
people already beginning to move around this room. Let me pray. When I say amen, feel free to move and ask somebody to pray with you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we believe that you are the one true God, three in one, each with distinct purpose and a unified mission. Jesus, you said that you would send the Holy Spirit, and so we ask you to do that today. Mark this Pentecost with the same power of that day when your church was established. Fill our lives with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our lives. Establish the power and the culture of your kingdom in our hearts and in this church. Baptize us today in Jesus' name.